Basement Sounds is a podcast of original prose. Each episode contains part of an ongoing or standalone story. Today's episode will include Chapter 3 from Around the Center, Part 1 of a larger novel. I apologize for the jumpiness of volume from this episode. It's something I've been working on, and soon... It should be all taken care of. Thank you for your patience and your attention. Three chances. I had three shirts. I read from three books. I was naked, thin as a reed. The blanket on me laid bare my face and my staircase ribs. My big orange plastic cup hung by its little handle from the hook I put in the door jamb beside my side of the bed. For months, my thirst had been growing, becoming less and less satiable. I drank gallons, no exaggeration, every day. I peed constantly. Several times a night, I woke up to piss clear streams in the dead of night. My body stopped waking me up to tend to my bladder. I began pissing in the bed. My body automatically tried to flush the sugar that was rife in my veins, trying to piss my troubles away. My big cup had Franzia wine in it on this day, D-Day of the second operation. I woke at H-4 hour, drunk, still frosted with goldfish flavor dust. I pulled clothes on. H-12 hours, I looked at my tear-warped basement from my seat on the stairs. My wife cried not, nor my son. Is that really it? Two years and now we're just ending it? My son stared at his hysterical father. Later, Z, also my wife, told me that I frightened him. I believe it. I was losing my vision and drowning in my sorrow. What am I doing wrong? You keep asking me and I keep telling. Why can't you remember? My head fell forward. I really didn't know. But I do now. Please give me a second chance. I have. At H minus four hours, I put clothes into a bag. I make a stack of books I want to read. At H minus 10 hours, Z returned to the house without our son. We sat on the porch, tearing through cigarettes and my pleas. After a few minutes, she had had enough, and she left me alone on one of the chairs given to us as a set with a table and umbrella by my mother for some occasion. I had assembled it and sat there with Z when she alone had been the smoker. I had been borrowing and bumming from her until I sought out my own pack. My smoking began in earnest on D plus one day of the first operation, the day after my stay at the Motel 8. The night of D minus one day, Kim Chi offered me one of his hand-rolled tobacco numbers as I crouched on his backyard deck. A stray cat threaded through our exhalations and nuzzled and purred against our legs. 
That was when I began to breathe in handfuls a day. D-Day of the first operation marked the start of a 72-hour withdrawal from sight and sound of my children, wife, and best friend. Each hour of that operation commenced with Z suggesting I leave the house. Thus, the operation went off without a hiccuping hitch. I left without a peep. I didn't cry until two days later. At H-1 hour of the second operation, after two weeks of separation and an additional nine days of Z in the center, she stepped into the home to see my bag packed. Will you take me now? Sure, do you have everything? I just need cigarettes. The early sleeping sun had abandoned our town. The dozens of billboards were lit from below. Z drove. So I just want to be absolutely clear. We are over, right? Like our relationship? Said Z. Yeah, it's over. I fell to tears again. I cried until she came back into the car after she had bought me two packs of Marlboro Ice. I pronounce it Marble Ice. Thank you. Z started the car at H minus 20 minutes hour. I stood in the snow with one of the first cigarettes from a fresh pack. The first full day was nearly over. I stood by little Kay and beautiful Lala. Summer camp fears crawled on me like millipedes, each limb injecting a paralytic agent. Fear pumped throughout me. My brain planned what to say. You know the thing about this place? I asked them. What? said beautiful Lala. It's crazy. They laughed, and the millipedes crawled back to crevices around the roots of my weeds. On my feet, I wore the cheap sandals the center gave us all. I had socks on, too. I had never worn socks and sandals in the snow before. I never felt crazier. We would file out after a meal into the cold plaza in the middle of the center. There were glass hallways on all sides. We could see the other wings of the center marching to wherever they needed to go. There were groups of children we saw walking the halls too. We had to wait for them to pass before we could go back in. We were, as a group, labeled as dangerous to children. Some of the children were the same age as my oldest. An MT held out a lighter and we came up to her for the flame. Don was always out for smoke break. So were I and Key, Maggie, Lasha, Exy. Exy and Key were a pair, almost always together. The kid was there most times. So was the hubby when he got there. Camel Freak, Blue Jay, Pirate, and Freddy. These were the regulars. Others came out when it was warmer. While Exy was with us, she would cause us to laugh until we were far away from ourselves. She would double over in breathless laughter after she told a joke. 
Don was going through withdrawal. In the first days, we all asked him how he was when we saw him. He would answer while his fast eyes moved beneath his cap. He was barrel-chested and pale, with rough, short beard and voice. I loved him at first sight. He turned out to be full of hagfish, and he coughed up their slime into the air and our ears and onto our skin. He was taken off F-Wing for his literal crime. He waved at us from the glass hallways while we were on smoke break. None of us waved back. Blue Jay muttered, Piece of shit. My love vanished for him. Only cinders of it left. And all of it gone to Blue Jay. Key and most everyone else smoked the center's cigars. They were free trash. I shared my marbles freely. I offered and was asked. I gave until I began to run low. Then I gave only one away every day. The wind was slashingly cold one night. Not even all the stalwart ashmongers were out. But Blue Jay was in her leopard print tights and a coat of some color. I was there too. Blue Jay wore tired eyes. She was as tough as a taproot. We all knew it. I was out in the deafening cold because I clung to routine. Blue Jay was out there because she fucking wanted to. Of course, I fell in love with her right fucking away. One of the MTs, one of the pair with us that blistering evening in the plaza, was relating to us her past as an addict to meth and liquor. She told us, too, of her own stay at the center as a patient. She is not an exception to my not naming the MTs. I couldn't get names to stick to them. We, heard them, we hardly saw them more than two days in a row. They didn't wear name tags. They stuck to their training and were better for it. But the behavior was too similar for me to catch their per personhood in my brain. They hardly ever told us about their lives. It was a selfless thing to do for us. The MT's hair was cut short, and she stood like an infantryman. She wore military boots. I'm an open book, she said. You guys can ask me anything. I'll talk to you anytime you want. She often called people buddy. A dozen moments of buffeting air laden with crystallized water passed. Snowflakes touched and melted on our cigarettes and cigars. I broke the silence. Do you think buttfuckerino is a funny word? All but the MTs laughed hysterically. Whoa, whoa, language, she said. Come on, you know better, said the other. What? You said we could ask you anything. He and I laughed as we walked back to our wing. The main door led directly to the hub of our wing. Three hallways went off from the hub. Two were lined with bedrooms. The other led to the doctor's office, back activity room, and the social worker's office. In that hallway were the coffee, water, and ice machines. They were closed at 9 p.m., covered by one of those doors of storefronts of malls at night. Also attached to the hub was the front activity room. The activity rooms were equipped with TVs connected to Netflix via Roku. You had to ask an MT to get the remote to change the channel. This policy was enforced, 
so that we wouldn't have the chance to swallow the batteries. The remotes were kept at the nurse's station, which was at the center of the hub. MTs and nurses manned the phones and computers and clipboards there. Paperwork flocked in and out like migratory birds captured in time-lapse. There was a back room behind the chest-high desk, where the MTs and nurses ate their meals and kept our coats that had strings on them. On a wall, between the start of the two hallways, was the handicapped accessible bathroom, the laundry room, and the quiet room where you could go and sit and calm down. I never used it there. Beside the door to the front activity room was a singular chair, the only one accessible by patients near the nurse's station. I sat in it when I first got there. The hubby would sit there later. But as we came in from that smoke break, the chair held a short, pale-skinned, auburn-colored hair woman. She was Powerfish. Thank you for listening to this episode of Basement Sounds. Next time, we're going to be listening to some installments from the anthology Mythos.